Welcome to Musically Hitched, a podcast featuring the untold stories of entertainment professionals from household names to budding superstars and those still hidden in plain sight. Each life has a soundtrack. Our stories are the lyrics. I'm Zach Reynolds Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. This This is is Musically Hitched. Today's guest is Rodney Edge, a Grammy-nominated songwriter, producer, multi-instrumentalist, and entrepreneur. Rodney has worked with artists such as Anita Baker, Luther Barnes, Ken Ford, and Kelly Price. He's co-writer for the certified gold single entitled It's Working with Bishop William Murphy. Whether touring with After 7 or collaborating with local Atlanta musicians, Rodney is plugged in and shares his musical expertise through Edge Music. If you enjoyed today's content, don't forget to please like and subscribe so that you're always notified when new episodes are released. Welcome back to another episode of Musically Hitched. I'm your host, Zach Reynolds Jr. And we have a special, special guest for you in studio today. Rodney, good to see you, my friend. How are you? All right. Thanks for having me, Zach. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely, man. So we've had numerous conversations before. This is just going to be another one in, in the in the chronicles, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> so take us back to your roots, if you don't mind. Tell us about where you're from um, and how you got started in this thing called music. Um, thanks again for having me. Um, oh, my pleasure. Um, I am from Rocky Mount, North Carolina, born and raised. Um, ever since the age of two, according to my mother, that's when the music bug was in me. Um, I grew up in Red Bell United Holy Church whole rough side of the mountain thing uh that was the thing back in the early 80s first gospel record to really go gold like that Mm -hmm. my aunt is my blood aunt my mama's baby sister is uh reverend janice brown vick between her my mom who was the first musician i ever knew um and just coming up in that environment you know because everybody back then you know you were you were playing something. So mm-hmm. um, I knew I wanted to be in music. You know, it was, it was, I would be distracted in school. I, I did okay in school. <laughs> you know, I stayed B on a road. Um, but um, just, I knew I had the bug because I was always drawing uh, pictures, always drawing stuff. My dad saw it in me really hard. So he was my first investor. He bought me a guitar at age seven. Okay. From Sears and Roebuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember I had, Sears, of course. I had this $40 lead guitar and one of those cheap custom guitar lead amps. And, um, you know, because I wanted a custom amp, you know, because back then for me, I don't know if y'all, so this is sure not going to tell my gray. The cut, the amps they had back then was the bass amp with the custom that had the two blue buttons. <laughs> All the details, you had to have the top and the bottom preamp, but you had to have, a, so I drew all that in the picture with the 215s with the two portholes. Right, all that. right. So I had to have a custom amp. 
or I won't no good. So, you know, that was before peeving on it. Anyway, yeah, I know that's yeah. a whole lot. But yeah, I had that. But what got dad was that I would tune my guitar down a whole octave. So I wouldn't play regular guitar. Hmm. I would be playing bass strings. Now, any bass player knows, as you know, sir, mm-hmm. that wasn't going to be all <laughs> that good sounding. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but that's what I wanted. I mean, I didn't want to play chords back then. I wanted to play bass. So he said, okay. Two years later, I got my bass. And um, actually, bass was the last thing I picked up, I believe, because I had drums at two and did that at five. And then I had keyboard at seven. Um, I just sat down and started playing, then bass at nine. And so you're a multi-instrumentalist so we don't want people to miss that i this is this is that's four instruments did we just say drums keys bass what's the fourth one i missed just now uh guitar because i mean because back then you know if you could do piano and organ they were not the same so correct uh, correct i mean they they still aren't the same i guess still uh but you know i started learning those before I really, really got on on the bass. So, okay. So, did you learn to play by ear? Did you have formal lessons or a combination of the two? The only thing I had formal lessons on, which I guess this is really my last instrument, was saxophone. Because you okay. know, I had I had to be in the band. So, you know, sixth grade. So that's five. Saxophone. That's five instruments. Right. <laughs> right. So I played saxophone all the way up through high school. So alto and tenor. Okay. And to this day, uh, you could give me a, just because now I'm able to create some of the things that I heard back then, you know, you could give me a whole saxophone section, no brass. I'm happy. (laughs) So you still, you still can play. You still can play the sax right now. A little bit. Okay. Nobody, nope. But nobody knows, including myself (laughs) right now. (laughs) But yes. That 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 was the one. I mean, I still know what notes are. I still think you know. I had wow. six years strong on it. So I didn't know that. We I ne- I never knew you played sax. I knew you played everything else, but I didn't know that. Play alto and tenor, marching so band. It, yep. So did music start with you in the Edge household, or was it a gift that was passed down, or that you inherited from from someone along the lines? Um. I want to say both and because my first lesson, if you will, was Mr. Bray teaching me how to play saxophone. I didn't have, you know, the environment I was in. It was like, if you could do it, you could do it. I mean, Mm -hmm. my mom and dad didn't force it on me, but they saw enough in me to encourage it. Um, in fact, I remember my dad bought a piano around that time, uh, which was like a big deal as well. You know, I bought an upright piano and they found out I could play it. It was it was that. So I think it was just a mixture of, of that, you know, being a PK and doing as much church as we did, mm-hmm. you know, coming from the musical family on my mother's side that they were. You know, it it just happened. So I I do know that I had and it gifts because 
of what I can articulate now, I felt so strongly back then as a youngster. But yeah, I, I would say it's a mixture of everything. Right. So you mentioned you're a PK, preacher's kid. So was was mom or dad the pastor or both? Uh, mom. Uh, mom was the supporter. Dad, uh, I mean, because mom is now, but dad was the preacher. So we were members of Redbud United Holy Church back then. And uh, my dad was one of the associate pastors. So uh, needless to say, you know, we did, I mean, me being with him, four or five services, church services a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it is now, you know, they got, shoot, my kids had choices. No, nah, no, nah, back then. I mean, you know, I would get my schoolwork done, but. You could ask me what I would prefer to do. If, if he had to go somewhere, I was rolling out with him. Okay. And mm-hmm. and I was I was his backup. So. Yeah. So we got an early start in music. So we're talking as early as two, five, seven, nine. So even before we hit ten, we're on multiple instruments. We're in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and things are things are cooking. Of course, uh, for those that don't know, uh, the Reverend Luther Barnes is a legend, uh, to say the least. And was was Reverend FC? Was that his father? That's the name. Because yes. being from North Carolina, we heard this name all the time. But they were they were nationally and internationally known right there in Rocky Mount. So yes, Ab- okay. absolutely. Um, Luther to this day. Uh, I mean, when he saw it, because my mom used to talk about me coming home from school and taking the radio outside, and I have a little. My, I would take my guitar and everything, and I would play everything that was on the radio. And I mean everything, you know. It wow. was a whole bunch of gospel back then, you know, in the afternoon. But you know, Soul ninety two mm-hmm. and Rocky Mount would be pumping all the, the hot jams. So that's how wow. I play. And Luther found out about that, and he just started encouraging me from then. And you know, I mean, as a young young musician you know i'm talking about from age seven we did a recording uh with with uh, my aunt and redbud the junior petite choir and between my mother and luther barnes they pushed me back then i wrote this song called be you thankful that i would not want anybody to hear it didn't make the session <laughs> but they recorded it that night uh it was the corniest song ever but they were pushing me even back then so uh and how old were you at this at this time ronnie 11. Okay. So yeah. what, middle school, around sixth grade? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So they were pushing. I mean, he was, he was, and when I say push, he was just encouraging me, you know, to pursue it back then, you know. I mean, to this day, that is uh, one of my biggest musical influences. You know, because of what he was able to do and how and what he saw in me, he just pushed, 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 and encouraged, encouraged. What my mom and dad couldn't do, I could call Luther, and he'd do it. Hmm. So that's powerful. So early, an early stage of life, you are on a weekly basis. It sounds like because church, you know, fifty-two Sundays a year, every week. Growing up in the South, the Bible Belt, like you said, you didn't have a choice. So in essence, you were kind of forced to be around a legend. 
in in really pivotal years or you know and they were they were still much on a on an ascent right would you say at that point yeah okay yeah i mean it was more so his dad back then than 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 he um you know, his single, I'm Still Holding On, hit after uh, Rough Side of the Mountain. But as big as it was, it still didn't, it wasn't the same. So both, all of them were gone. But, but yeah, I, I was always around it, but I always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, those type of churches have musician corners. <laughs> so, you know. What Talk we, to us about the musician corners. Every, everybody don't know what that corner. Okay, means. so we know what a corner so the, is. What's the difference between a corner and a musician's corner? A musician's corner uh, is most notably recognized in church, and most of the time is young people, uh, young student artists who look forward to the day they get their shine on or get the opportunity. Mm-hmm. to uh, play the instrument for church uh, because of, it really is because of what they feel inside. But that musician's corner is always filled with people who are uh, enamored, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, by what's created with the instruments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because it's different than going to music class in school, you know, where you Remember, you just, we used to get the little colored xylophones and stuff, but you know, you get to church and it's not a drum line, it's a drum set. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, all of that uh, happens in the church. <laughs> you know, I'll try to articulate it the right way. But yeah, it's, it's, it's normally the side where all the, if, if, it, if there's not a stage, for the band to be on, if they're on the floor, uh, the music corner is the side where you'll find all the young people. They'll be closest to the band section, almost guaranteed. So basically the musician's corner, is it safe to say, because a lot of people get their start in church. I got my start in church. You obviously just said you got yours in church and numerous other musicians uh, and not certainly not just in the gospel, industry or gospel side of things. A lot of our, our favorite musicians from all time can be traced back to that musician's corner. So that musician's corner is like a birthing place for music it is, stardom. It is the history the, of music can be traced back to the corner of the church, literally, right? If we want to get if, technical. If you want to find the farmer's garden, of music for the future, mm. pick a church and go to the musician's corner. Mm-hmm. And that's that we didn't know that then, but I would say that quick now. Where, where, we, where are we going to find the next biggest thing? Now, Jacob Collier is an anomaly that he's different, but more than likely for American music, um, because so many gospel musicians have influenced and we don't talk about this enough. It's so many gospel musicians that have influenced music culture. It's not just they influenced gospel. It's not just they influenced jazz. They influenced music. Half of the pop artists right now, no matter what the color is, no matter where they come from, uh, from here to Japan, at least half of the band is gospel. 
it's easy to see at least half. They're gospel musicians, you know, from African-American, black, whatever you want to name it, label it from those churches where they have that influence. I mean, and it's, and it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long to, to find that out. Right. But that's what I would say. The farmer's garden where, where music is being fertilized or I'll even say, uh, what you say, the side man or the B man or whatever, the support has been fertilized and grown in the musician's corner. Mm-hmm. Little pun intended here. What is the edge that you think growing up in church and learning to play, cutting your teeth in church musically gives you in the music performance arena? What's, what's the difference? Why, why, why should that matter on the stage? Or what does it translate to? Um, a couple of things. Number one, um, we're a little harder to impress. <laughs> so, so, so whatever it is, whether it's pocket or whether you got your best chop, uh, we're a little harder to impress. So, uh, if you're not impressive or if you don't invoke the emotion past, Oh, that's good. You know how to do that. Um, if it's, if it's not, if it doesn't leave an impression or invoke a feeling, um, then it's hard to make that happen outside of the church because music in and of itself is spiritual. Right. And people, and people overlook that, you know, I, I used to, I used to have these business cards and I didn't know what I was saying back then, but, but I could definitely, I know what it means. Now my slogan back then was that music is the universal language. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you can't connect on anything else, you can connect on a downbeat. Yep. It doesn't matter where you come from. You can connect on a downbeat and everybody understands a downbeat. You know, they understand a melody and so many different melodies or whatever uh, that you can attach yourself to, but it's the universal language. So because music in and of itself is spiritual, um, and I think God kind of intended it to be like that, um, but because it's spiritual, I think that's being able to invoke that emotion in whatever environment is the gift that you get growing up in a musician's corner. Good answer. Good answer. Yes, it's it's amazing. To, one of the things I've always thought about is improv, sometimes in music, not always. You know, when you get into the world of, of doing live shows, a lot of things are already are scripted or, or, or pre-programmed, right? But there are those mm-hmm. moments where, you know, there's a solo or there's a, an opportunity to do something a cappella if you're a vocalist in a show. And sometimes that, that training, that, that improv, like you, it's almost like you get, you get a, a crash course in improv uh, growing up in the local church. And that translates to larger stages because you, you do know how to emotionalize things. You do know how to connect with an audience. You, you can, you get to, you get to have firsthand experience that this is what happens when heart touches heart, when soul touches soul. You know those moments and you're able to read those moments and you can connect with audiences anywhere, any genre, anytime. Any genre, anytime. Or when you have to, like you said, repeat something that's scripted, mm-hmm. you know? Um, 
you have to do that. Um, that my growing up, you know, it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of jazz influence. Everything it, it wasn't rigid, but it was really, really, you know, block pocket. That was their win. That that was that style of music. And I didn't understand that as a style, but it, back then, but I do now. I mean, we got to stretch out and we got to shed and jam and, and have fun. Right. Uh, don't get me wrong, but but to be able to invoke an emotion uh, with just a regular three note chord, mm-hmm. where most people, especially nowadays, we try to do it with a seven, <laughs> seven or eight note, you know, cluster, and they were doing it, you know. We're, that's that's how I learned. I mean, we're watching some things come full circle now, but doing that back then, you know, that was the drill. Mm-hmm. That was the drill. You right. know, I would learn certain stuff, and and when I started learning clusters, you know, I would try them out in church. <laughs> I would try them out in church, and you know, at the time, it was inappropriate placement. So they they say, hey, 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 that that's good, but no. <laughs> You know, and they weigh me out. They would tell me stop. Mm-hmm. I never one t- one time, right? Especially after I came back from school, I was on stage, uh, and I appreciate him so much for this. Now, uh, Melvin had has brother has a brother named Melvin Barnes, uh, and uh, he was Luther Barnes, one of Luther's uh, baby brothers. And man, we was, you know, I sat in with them on something, me and the drummer, we, we were at Anti State University. I sat in with them and man, we were going in on this Hezekiah song. You know, we were just, mm-mm, mm-mm. He, he, he was like, hey, hey, no, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> we in the middle of the song in front of a packed church. It's a midnight music. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that now, uh, you know, cause the other thing he taught me then, him and Luther, was how to execute discipline um, and learn how to be a musical director without being offensive, which is a whole another thing mm, too. So. That, that's an interesting conversation right there. Learning how to be a a musical director, but without being offensive. Yeah, they had a they had a, a quiet, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, my kids were watching too much TV; it's starting to get to them. But they had a quiet power <laughs> if you will you know where they knew how to get they their leadership was strong uh demonstrative not the word just offense it wasn't offensive you didn't leave you know you know shoulders heavy with lament because of how you got chastised you didn't it wasn't none of that they just this is where we're going and this is how we lead this ship. Right. And that's that's a critical skill to have both as a leader. And it's also a critical skill, I think, to have as a follower because we all find ourselves in both seats sometimes. Sometimes you're the musical director. Sometimes you're the lead vocalist. Sometimes you're the background vocalist. Sometimes you're, right. just, you're, just, you're just playing your role. And, and I think that that's a critical skill. It's something that's missing from today's industry. Uh, the ability to correct and love is is very necessary always has been but the the ability to receive in love i think is what you're hitting on right now that you know that you can always tell we we all you know the the, the saying goes nobody 
cares how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Until they know how much you care. But I think people do know. I think people know when people care. So uh, I think tone and tone matters, right? You know, you can say good morning or you can say good morning. You know, like they, they, they're the same two words, but they just feel different. But I think we all know uh, when someone is coming from a, from a good place. Um, and so, you know, it, it translates to, I think, effective music. But that's, we're talking leadership in general right now. Everywhere you go, uh, somebody's got to be the person in charge. And they've got to have the confidence right. to say, like you said, this is the way it's got to go. Or this is the way I would like for it to go as the person who's been selected, uh, positioned to be the leader. And in order for that sound to come across that, that we hope that we hear, the band has got to make one sound. As band the illustrious Mr. Sound. James Brown used to say, it's all one note. You know, it's all one thing <laughs> at the same time. And you can't, yeah. you can't be doing your thing and I'm doing mine. We, we got to be in sync with this. My thing won't be important to you or add any value if I can't do what I'm asked to do first. Right, right. Wow, wow. If I can't do what I'm asked to do first mm. and keep doing it, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> music is repetitive. It's repetitive. If I cannot keep doing it mm-hmm. over a long period of time, then what shows up are my character issues. Right. So if my character issues show up then what good am i away from my instrument Mm. do you want to be bothered with me away from my instrument right how long can we keep this going if the only thing i'm good for is in my hands how how long will what's in my hands last wow if i don't have any character or any ability to follow Mm. wow very true. And those things have to be worked on. They have to be adjusted. And like you said, I got to be able to receive and love, even if it comes uh, with a hammer, <laughs> you know, with, with, with hammer talk, I call it. But if it comes with that, I got to receive and love if I know who my leader is, especially. You got to love enough to correct, right? So I, I, I believe in clarity right and to to be clear is to be kind in essence when you're not clear you create ambiguity and people don't know which way to go and that's definitely the opposite of um effective leadership if you if you have no idea where to go or what to do next then that is the leader's fault so to be clear is to be kind so let's talk more about your journey you 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 became musically hits that sounds at an early age so Edge, when did you realize that music would be more than a hobby? When did you realize it was going to be a way of life and even a career path for you? Um, when I knew it would be uh, was after I flunked out of college. <laughs> so uh, I flunked out of college um, at an early age. Um, but I was pursuing music because I had had so many experiences touching music past. You know, in those days, your way to make a living in music is that you had to teach it only. Right. You know, it was a long shot to watch somebody on TV. You know, it was a long shot to uh, watch somebody in the movies. 
And the only way you could get it was, you know, I'm talking about pretty much the whole state of North Carolina back then. Um, if you were going to make it and live in North Carolina, that is, um, you had to teach it. But after I flunked out, uh, I knew my gifts were different because I kept getting requested to be on other people's projects. Mm-hmm. So uh, once I learned how to start monetizing that, um, I knew that I, I said, maybe I can do this. So we get deep on Musically Hits. So talk to me about that. This, this, is, this sounds very familiar because I mentioned in an earlier episode to our listening audience that you know, musicians get an interesting start. Church being one of those examples where just, a lot of people are not just playing in church. They're actually getting paid as well while they're playing. So do you remember your first paid scenario and how much you got paid? Uh, my very, very first paid scenario, because we weren't getting paid. It's funny because, uh, well, they were getting paid, but I didn't know it until later. <laughs> but but my very first paid scenario uh, was Rescue Temple Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I got paid $50 a Sunday to play the organ. Okay. And now, a college freshman in 1989, Balling out of control, fifty dollars go a long way in nineteen eighty nine. A Sunday, until yes, I found out two hundred a month, paying, right? Yeah, until I found out that they were paying somebody a little bit younger, had a little more chops, and could do a little bit more than me. Uh, they had him come in playing with me, and he was making a hundred. Just reflecting, I just remember, boy, Rescue Temple up there, way down Summit Avenue, way down. Just, you know. But yes, $50. So, but you got, everybody has to start somewhere. And so that's, you know, like you said, in 89, that was that was a little, a little bit ago. I and mean, that was a, a decent amount. But even today, $200 goes a long way, particularly for a kid, you know. So, oh yeah. And that, that does something to you because when you realize that, you are, number one, you're working. You realize that you're being paid. And I believe that the minute you start getting paid to do anything, you're a professional. I don't care if it's a lemonade stand. People are expecting that lemonade to be sweet, cool, chilled, and clean. Refreshing. Right? Right. Refreshing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you have a responsibility to, to market to, to the community, right? So people don't right. come to get, they, they didn't come looking for trash, right? They came for some lemonade. And you said ice cold. So that's what they're paying for. So that's the professional uh, in you is supposed to arise, right? When you start getting, you, it should be there before. I'm sure you agree with this, that before you get paid, you need to demonstrate the ability to to be a payable, right? But when you start getting paid, you know, you certainly need to, you need to act like it. And so professionalism is usually followed by remuneration. Man, and if I had to request anything differently, Back then, I wish it was the professionalism piece, mm-hmm. you know, because not having the exposure when you're doing what you love and then you start getting paid, mm. nobody, but you're not exposed to anybody who can teach you how to keep it or how to go to the next level. I mean, now we pay 
to learn how to get paid in certain environments and then learn how to we paid to learn how to get paid to pay how to learn other skills and it just keeps going and going and going which is nothing wrong with education but you know the missing piece for most young people has been has been the professionalism and it's not impossible you know some a lot of the child stars the reason why they become stars is because they're surrounded by a professional environment yeah so it's right. not just that they're talented but the, the professionalism comes in how to carry themselves so you know they know how to produce you know they eliminate will always be cool refreshing sweet ice cold there you go right you know but but i wish i had the professionalism back then um that I have now, you know, or that I know now, and I'm still learning now, you know, but, but yeah, that's, that's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. So the mentorship piece is something that often comes up in conversations uh, for those who, who are making their living. This is not a, being a musician is not uh charted territory, right? There is, there is a, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of people, when you, think about pursuing music. Let's say, let's, let's call them civilians, right? They think of teaching, which is a very viable way to make money as a musician. But that is also one of the chart. That's one of the paths that you can chart. You can go to school, you can major in music performance, vocal performance, jazz studies, et cetera. You can do less risk and, and it's less risky, right? So you can find a job that will pay you a livable salary, right? A livable wage. And you are you are a musician. You're not that is not taking anything away from anyone. But if you want to go the live performance route, you have to have the skill set of an entrepreneur. Would you agree or disagree? I agree one thousand percent, which is not a real one hundred percent to a thousand percent. You agree a lot. You know? that's what you said. Yeah. I, I, that's my way of articulating. I agree, uh, 100% times 10. If you do not have, I'm going to call it entrepreneurial skin. Mm-hmm. You don't have that. Um, being a live musician, you will not make it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have to have that, you know. You just, you, it's impossible to not, you know. So talk to us about talking to us about the level of commitment because that entrepreneurial skin, I've not heard it like that. I know we, you know, I know what thick skin is, but the entrepreneurial skin is different than, than the person who is, let's just call it nine to five skin, right? There is, there is a, a level of predictability that comes with, with nine to five that, that does not come with the musically hitched journey for some. Right. We'll just say for some, because to be musically his does not mean that for clarification does not mean that you're a full time musician. It means that you have a love and a connection to music that, that, that won't quit. In essence, music chose you. You didn't just choose it. But what would you say the level of commitment needs to be for a person who does want to go past just being musically hitched into, OK, I am a full fledged full-time, sole income earning musician? 
the level of commitment? What would you say? Um, that level of commitment has to be really, really high. Um, some things I wish I knew earlier that would have placed me in a better position. Um, money management, time management. Mm-hmm. Two big um, ones right there. You know, if we just talk about music um, being, because um, you have to have both of those so that your entrepreneurial skin can take you know, the scars and take the bleeding that you get from being cut. You know, I know there are a lot of really, really grimy industries, uh, especially in America, but the music industry, you need to have money management. I teach my children, you know, to not live off of the 100 or not even the 90, because we go to church, we believe in paying our tithes, um, but to live off of 70. And if you take a lifetime of paying your tithes, taking another 10%, saving it, and taking another 10% and investing, that leaves you with 70% to buy your groceries, to buy, do whatever. But if you can develop, it's, it's just like working out. If you can develop the discipline to do that over an amount of time, you know, you be be surprised what you save. You can't even, you don't even properly measure how much you have coming in if you just let it keep going out. Mm -hmm. So you have to have that money management. And, you know, I tell my children right now, especially coming out of college, if I had, I have a friend who is now a, uh, uh, not an angel investor, but he's a, he's a huge millionaire investor. And with his, you know, he's a little bit younger than me, but he just started, he started way back when we were that age. Um, he paid, he did just that. He pays his tithes. He, he saved and he, he, and he calls it paying himself. He did it with 80. He said, whatever I paid in tithes, I will pay myself religiously. And I still do at this day to this day, but it, it has positioned me to where now you know, I can do some massive, massive things, but that was part of his, his gifting as well. Um, so you got to have that. And then the time management. In this music game, sometimes you won't get any sleep mm. if you are creating something. And if you are really, it, it's one thing to make it to the big leagues and um, and be on a tour or something like that but where the risks are and being able to to create something that you know you can be blessed with and monetize and feed your family uh that's hard mm -hmm. but you can't get it done unless you have time management um because your body will tell you hey you can't do no more and your brain your brain will be going but, 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 but if you don't have time management, uh, proper time management, you won't function. You won't function. I, 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 I don't even have to address time management with family yet or time management with uh, relationship spouse, which is a whole nother. Whole nother, 
whole nother that's that's a whole nother thing you know uh, uh of you know once once you get to you know i haven't arrived but even just just with some of the things that i've been able to accomplish what i could have done differently just in relationship with my children and, or relationship with my spouse if i had been taught or if i had acquired proper time management i'm just talking about regular health and rest right now because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. your blood pressure will shoot up <laughs> for sure for sure in this business it will it can stay on high if you're not careful and yeah, that's for, for, for a few reasons one is 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 the pressure uh depending on the the the, the greater the responsibility right the 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 greater the pressure and the uh, for results and so to whom much is given much is required we know that so for everybody out there that's listening that wants more have you increased your capacity to handle more it's easy to want it but if you don't make room for as edge is saying the time we can't none of us can really actively manage time because time just ticks it just keeps going right it's just like watching the clock that's it's pointless to think we can actually control it but we can control ourselves so the discipline that you talked about is 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 what we've got to master the ability to to start things when we're supposed to start them stop them when we're supposed to and my wife has even talked to me a lot uh, about you know just compartmentalizing that is a key skill of a successful entrepreneur you cannot spend all day on one thing and still get to the bank in time <laughs> at five o'clock you cannot do it that will, it will not happen it yeah, will not happen you, you know, gotta be able be to, you gotta be able to do it all right and so and i and there's and we're going to talk about balance here this is we we want to segue right now into a topic of of family because there's some there's some of our listeners have a family some may just have a spouse or partner and some people are just you know single and and they're they're fine the way they are but all of us have to figure out as you said the balancing that act of what the music industry requires of us regardless of whether we're a teacher or if we're an md if we are a touring bassist or if we're a music producer who's got a contract with you know espn we've all got to figure out how can i be because there's only one of us so there's only one yeah figuring out how to get it all done and then maximizing our value, maximizing our opportunity, because this is a long range game. There's a lot of ways to make money one time, or you can make it residually. So how we how we use our time is also important. So talk to us a little bit more about the skill set of managing yourself, managing time, but more importantly, managing yourself. What do you do to help make it all happen? How do you make it happen as a musician with the perspective of time? Um, well, for me, my dream as a musician happened after I became a father. So okay. um, being committed to family, you know, I have to make that happen. So I have to address it in those terms. Um, the weekend, especially after moving to, to Atlanta, the weekend is the time for most musicians who do make an income that's their time for them to work right so that means we have to find other times and spend family time um you know I, I hope they appreciate it but I, but you know when my kids were here and they were in school um i used to wake everybody up 8 30 on saturday morning and say hey we're going to the movies hey 
we're going this place, we're going this because I knew my time mm-hmm. was going to be gone if I was going to balance pursuing the dream, especially when I moved here after working, you know, during the week while they're in school and pursuing the dream and trying to figure out, okay, I need to figure out how to balance time with my wife. I can't just be gone all the time, you know, and I'm, and I know I probably got it wrong more still than I got it right. But I was intentional when I did, you know, whether it was the movies or let's go, I don't know, let's go sit down at Burger King or you know, let's go sit down at breakfast or something because I needed them to know that I cared. And, you know, I as much as they would allow me to, I tried to be present. So that time management, now mind you now, I'm not talking about sleep still. You know, I'm not talking about, oh, I got a project opportunity. So after coming home or after doing a gig, I'd sit up late and meet a deadline because somebody has paid me money mm-hmm. to do a project or to produce something. And then I still got to get up and go to work the next day, you know. And, you know, my wife and everybody's going to bed and I'm still up making noise in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever I take away time, I had to learn in so many uh, terms, I had to learn how to balance it the other way. There were some times I was going to have to say no. You know, but whatever I said no to, sometimes it's stung. Sometimes, most times it's stung. <laughs> but, you know, I sure. learned whatever I said no to, I could say yes to something else later on. Mm-hmm. Good. So there's 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 a responsibility of, of, of in order to get the work, you've got to be able to deliver results and sometimes delivering those results because this is a creative industry. We can't just turn on creativity like you turn on a light. Sometimes you, it takes a while to get into a place to create something oh, man. that Woo. will that will resonate as we talked about with with the heart. What comes from the heart touches the heart and something rushed and something uh, tense, something that doesn't feel sincere or feels contrived, usually won't won't make the difference. We're gonna have to have the, you're gonna have to have the time to do that, and sometimes that can take that can take hours, that can take days, that can take weeks, maybe could maybe months before you really get right. something because you've got to love it. Like when you when you're in the creative phase, no matter what it is, whether you're putting a show together or whether you're whether you're doing an album for for an artist. You've got to love what you're doing in addition to them loving what you're creating. If you don't love it, I've always been told by, you know, mentors growing if you if you don't love it, what you let me hear it for, you know. Because you gotta be Absolutely. excited about it. You gotta be excited enough about it to get me into it. And then there's also just press play, right? We talked about this on a previous episode with another guest. When you press play, there's nothing to discuss. Cause all the time at that point is gonna play out sonically absolutely 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 and 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 whatever is felt or heartfelt uh while you're doing it while you're creating that should translate when you press play it should Mm -hmm. 
but all that time management, you know, the blood, the sweat, the toil, if you will, of coming up with something that invokes emotion, all of that should happen then. And you got to, uh, the time, <laughs> again, that it took to create that, all of that should be felt when you press play. Yeah. So how has, how has it been for you being a father, being a husband and a professional musician all at the same time? What are some of the challenges or maybe I should say, what are some of the, some of the opportunities that you would like to encourage our listeners? Let's say that we've got a, a young man or a, a new mom or expectant mom who's a musician right now. Their life is about to change forever because they're about to become a parent. Looking back with your years of experience, they don't want to give up their music dream. But what can you tell them about the realities of being a parent? And then we'll also talk about the realities of being a, a spouse or a partner while being a full-time musician. Um, I'm going to answer that two ways. Um, the first way, real general, I'm just telling you, don't stop. Because if you don't stop, um, as your children grow, and as you grow to become a better parent, if you find the time to work on your dream, that will grow as well. What we all know is a dream is just a dream unless you put action to it. It is just stay in your head. Right. right. Um, I will also say that even if you've never seen it done before, it doesn't mean it can't happen because maybe the world is waiting on you to do the thing that had been done before. Very true. So uh, that's part one of that way. Part two, and I don't want to offend anybody, but you know, like I said, music is spiritual. I believe in God. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in angels from there. I believe in the Bible. Um, so I also feel like if God has put something in you, even if you get gray on your face or on your head or wherever you acquire gray and you raise your children or you go through some more, uh, I could talk about going to jail and coming out. You know, I could talk about whatever your experience is. If God has put something in you, he knows how to redeem that time and you get it back so that the dream in you doesn't die as long as you're willing to keep working on the dream. The Bible says faith without works is dead. Well, guess what? If you don't have the faith to keep working on the dream, then he can't take anything. I mean, he can because he's God, but if you don't give him anything to work with, He's gonna say, Well, I'm I'm waiting on you. I gave this, I gave you this, I put this in you. You said it was impossible. Did you have me with you though? Because anything is possible if you got God with you. So I say, you know, when things look bleak, when the bills do, <laughs> you know, we're in a pandemic still come trying to come out, you know, all that stuff. If right. you have God and you have faith 
and the willing, because, because, well, let me just do it like this. Faith has to be defined as, you know, the willingness to work on something that you can't see or touch yet. Mm-hmm. Correct. So if if you have the willingness to exercise, you know, time and energy for something that you can't see or touch yet, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to get get far, and you're going to get as far as you're willing to work. So, you know, you can you can take it however you want to take it, but if you keep working on something and if you believe, you know, you got to believe in what's in you so somebody else can. Mm-hmm. That's what I have to say. Absolutely. Good stuff. What about relationships? So you're a, not just a father, but you're a husband. Uh, how long have you been married? 25 years. 25 years. It's a long time. Yeah. And that's uh, not easy ooh. to do. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but no, no, no. It is not easy at all. Um, I attribute, I jokingly attribute, uh, but I feel like it's the truth uh, that the reason why I'm still married to my wife is not because of me, but the truth is, all jokes aside, it's because of her. Because there are some times, more times than not, when we as creators pursue these dreams that can't be tangibly realized, can't be, you know, economically measured. Mm-hmm. I know what <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, when that stuff doesn't happen, what what are you doing? My wife wasn't like that. You know, my wife has a strong will, strong mind. You know, she's a planner, she's a manager, she's a she's a creator. Uh but she loved me better than I love myself on a whole lot of things. She believes even to this day, uh, more in me than I've believed in myself at times. And that's why I say the faith that God gave her about my stuff made me blessed more than I could say as far as our relationship because we have friends who have split up over someone pursuing their musical dreams. We have, but but they never took the time. You know, you can't keep breaking a promise. You know, you just, you, you have to mature. The same maturity that it takes to, to, to obtain a music career and keep it, you have to have that same maturity about your relationship. You can't keep breaking a promise. That's good. That's good. Because it's not you, it's not you just breaking a promise to her. You're breaking a promise to yourself. To yourself. Cause you can't keep you can't keep putting in on on something on music side and and feel like you know you don't have to do the same thing on the relationship side. How 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 can you be in love with music? Most of which you can't see, 
I know that's so scriptural, but you know, music is felt more than it's heard. How can you be in love with that, but you have a relationship that you can touch that is tangible and you don't treat that right? Whatever works for your relationship is going to work for your dream if you treat them right. Very good. So when you've been on the road, you've done this a lot, riding for years, and that's one thing that some couples struggle with that. As long as I can see you, as long as I can attend your gig, I can, I can, I can, I can be there and I can know exactly what you're doing. But, but talk to our audience about uh, the life of a touring musician that is also in a committed relationship. What are some of the things that you owe your spouse, partner, when you're on the road? To, that will keep things going because you're already you're already absent from the nest, right? You're already gone because that's the nature of the beast and the job. So how do you make that work when you live in essence on a tour bus, planes, trains, automobiles, several months, some people nine, 10 months out of a year? How, do, how does one make that work? Communication. You have to be committed to communicating. Um, the whole time you're out there. Sometimes that's been the lifeblood window. At all times, communication has been the lifeblood of our relationship. Um, the times I have been gone, that's what did it. You know, I call her before I get to the I call her when I get to see. I, and these are things I didn't always do. I had to mature to that, but. You know, if I'm going from the house, you know, I, I I should want to know where my wife is. I should want to know how she's doing. I should want to know if she needs anything, you know, because for me, Rodney is, you know, me finance, you know, me, me, me financing or getting finance and monetizing this gift I have is so I could take care of them because I feel like this is what God gave me, but they may not want what I have to give them if I can't communicate. Because mm -hmm. music is not the only way to attain finances. <laughs> so, so, you know, if I'm going to be in a relationship, the communication has to, uh, and, and I haven't, always been successful. I'll say that much. I haven't always been successful in creating communication valuable enough to make what I wanted to do important to them. But I had to learn. And because I've learned, I feel like that's 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 what's done it for my relationship. But but you have to be willing to give up some other time. Mm -hmm. if that communication is going to be valuable. I mean, I, there have been times where my wife has been able to come out with me and be on the tour, you know, and and that's another thing. If you are married or if you have a spouse, you should be, because that adds value to you, you know. Um, I learned that piece really, really quick. You know, um, that having my spouse visible, not just stated, 
will give you not just value with your peers, but with the people that hire you. Hmm. How so? Well, if you're in a committed relationship, um, and for me, uh, this is Rodney, the book of Rodney Edge again, being married gives you a little bit more weight. Um, I believe that that there's a different level of favor that comes with you being grounded enough to commit past just being boyfriend and girlfriend. There, there's a different level of acceptance if you say, okay, well, this is my spouse. You know, there's a different level of, okay, well, he's got to be kind of grounded and solid because, you know, it, I think it's the same thing that happens. You can tell the difference in somebody who is a parent or not a parent. Because when you become a become a parent of a, when you have a son or daughter, you know there's some 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 choices that you make that are different. Indeed, so, same thing happens in marriage. There, there's some there's some ways that you communicate. It's just different. So, I think um, that the the fact that that can be seen. Um, I'll just talk talk again about you know me. Um, you know, when 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 I was out on tour, we hang out where we hang out. Um, you know, I say hey to whoever wants to say hey to. Sometimes I meet some people that you know I've been fans of for a long time. Uh, but my wife would be, you know, she would know it because I would communicate it, and and she get to hang out with all of them. I think there's value in having a spouse uh, with you uh, because. If you love your spouse, that's who you carry with you on stage, whether they're actually on stage with you or not. You're not just representing you. Mm. You know, if your children are going to be proud of you and say, that's my dad, that's who you're carrying on stage with you. If your wife or your husband or whoever's listening, if, that's, if, if you have any value at all, you know, you should be able to make them proud first before the list, before the people that are listening to. Mm -hmm. This is not for everybody, but it's who it's for. When you're on the road, what I feel like I hear you saying is that there is a responsibility because you're at work. You're not out, you, you didn't go out on the road to play. Uh, yes, it's the, being on the road and being a musician is, is a lot of fun. We get, to have, we get to have a lot of incredible experiences. We get to see the world often for free or at someone else's expense if you're not the, yeah, somebody the else's promoter expense, right? or, the, <laughs> or the producer of the tour yourself, right? Uh, but right. you, you get to do a lot of things and there's a lot of time away from home. Um, so there is a responsibility so that we know that with freedom comes responsibility. But you're not free from your family just because you're on the road. You're not free from your relationship because you're on the road. You're not free from being a parent. You have a responsibility to check in. I heard you say earlier that you check in with her, not just her checking in with you. Hey, where are you at, Rodney? It's like, hey, where are you? <laughs> what are you doing? Where are the kids? How are they doing? FaceTimes, whatever, because life doesn't stop for them just like it didn't stop for you. The difference is you're on a mobile in a mobile box moving around the country, getting to your next work location Absolutely. versus working from home. That's the that's the difference, right? Uh, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No argument. You know, you know, I plus how how would they know? 
if, you know, they have no rubric to measure if I'm okay. Correct. Right. They're you stationary know, in one place, right? You're all over the place. Yeah. I mean, there are some households where they don't care where the person is or not, which is the craziest thing. Who wants to live, you know, how can you be the queen and king of a castle where you're not wanted? Hmm. Nobody wants to be dealing with that. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I learned to communicate that on a regular basis. And, and yeah, you, you, you just have to do that uh, because that value, you know, anybody who knows, I mean, I know you know, Zach, but you have increased value when the people you love care about you. Mm -hmm. Very true. Everybody that is musically hitched um, does not necessarily need to relocate. Some people are are just fine where they are. Geographically, we're speaking about they they can stay in the exact same place where they were born their whole life and have an excellent musical journey. But then there are people like yourself and like me. We still decided that ultimately it was best to make a transition geographically related to this musically hitched journey. So there are many people that are on the fence about, should I move? Should I move to Atlanta? Should I move to Nashville? Should I, should I make the jump and uh, crisscross the country and go to California, LA or New York in the opposite direction? What would you say or what do you think is the value of having moved to Atlanta? You, you chose Atlanta. So why did you select Atlanta as the place to build your career? Um, I feel like I was led to Atlanta, hmm. you know, um, because, okay, so I've, and I say it like this because it's true. I've drugged my family uh, across the country three times. We left North Carolina. Um, we left uh, Kernersville, North Carolina, and I drove into Rich, Richmond, Virginia. I was there a year and a half. I drove them from there to Denver, Colorado. Drove them from Denver, Colorado, and drove them here after saying no to dragging them to LA. How long were you in Denver? I was in Denver for four years. Four years, okay. I was out there, uh, musical director for Bishop Dennis Leonard and Harris Christensen at the time. Um, did two records out there. Um, but then we came here. I came to Atlanta, number one, um, because my family's here. You know, I have a daughter that, that's in North Carolina and uh, it was easier to get here. I lost my father my first year out in Denver. So that whole fiasco of getting, you know, my children were smart at the time. So getting them back, it's like, you know, if something happens, I need to be in driving range um, where it'd be less than a day or less than half a day, you know. So Atlanta made the most sense. And number two, uh, this is where opportunity was, you know. Um, coming up, at least my experience in North Carolina, there was no opportunity, you know, and I didn't have the skills to create opportunity. You know, or this, the skills or the resources. I didn't have that, so that's what made me come. And I and and I say led because those things were showed to me. 
So I was able to do that here and that made the most sense for our move and for my family. And what would you say is the the value of having been here? Because now you're an established member of the community. It's no you're no stranger to stages around the city. And we know you've you have have toured and, and been around the country and around the world using your musical gift. But what is the value of being a member, a connected member, a, a hitched member of the Atlanta community? Because there are people that move to music centers all the time. We can speak specifically to our area, maybe not so much LA and, and, and Nashville and New York, but at, at the end of the day, the music industry is very small. And what it takes to make it in one music center is often the same transferable skill set to succeed in another. In other words, Absolutely. you could move to LA probably tomorrow, maybe not want to, but you would have a grand idea about how to get connected probably within what, 30 days? You could probably be a, 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 an active working member of the community just based on what you've learned. So what are some of the Absolutely. things that you have uh, have learned about making contributions to like the Atlanta music community specifically? How are you seeing that pay off for you at this point? Um. Well, the first thing for me for music um, is letting the community know, you know, that you exist. Uh, it's definitely a great example of not what you know, but who you know. Um, and then who you know, you you have to support who who knows you, but making sure that you do know something. You know, that you do have a what, if you will, that that could bring something to the table, you know. Um, that being said, you know, relationships um, have been key for me. You know, um, I've graduated and I don't, I don't want it to sound like there are levels. I mean, because they are, but. I have graduated from one circle to another, but I treat all of them the same. I don't know if anybody can say that Rodney Edge is part of a a clique, if you will, I mean, or a unit, because I've worked with all of them. You know, I've been blessed to work with, you know, or substitute, if you will, be the substitute, in other cliques and other units. Um, and that's been through relationship, mm -hmm. you know? So the value, you know, to me is, you know, you have to immerse yourself in becoming a part of the community uh, and then make sure that when they do start accepting you, that you have something that, that they can use, you know? Because nobody needs a community. They, no community needs somebody that only takes. You got to be able to give too. Mm -hmm. So, Very true. Um, so I've tried to give as much as I've been given, and you know, hope to reciprocate that process. Because if I can, not only does the community get stronger, but I get stronger as well as a part of that community. Mm -hmm. Community goes up, I go up, you know, and everything's just, if they eat, guess I eat, you yes. know? Yes. Now, a lot of people struggle with that, Rodney, because, and I heard that before I moved to Atlanta, 
I was told in essence that if I'm if you're gonna move there, then go ahead and pick your click. And so I didn't really, you know, I've always been entrepreneurial in my mind and that's where it starts anyway. You can't be an entrepreneur in real life if you don't first become entrepreneurial in your thought process. And what entrepreneurship about, in my opinion, is always seeking a way to add value to others. That is how an entrepreneur survives. They think about the ways, they look at their community and they're like, what is missing here? What would make this better? What could be two times faster or 10 times faster than this? How could this get done in a more efficient way? And then they begin to galvanize and organize and create and plot and plan and strategize and make stuff happen. And eventually if they're adding value, like you said, then a dollar amount is usually suggested even to them. So as a man who has has done a lot of work in the industry and particularly locally, and you are well received by many uh, around the city, I can't think of anybody who wouldn't want you around. I mean, you, you just, you just, you add value to everywhere you go. I think that musicians may need to have a different perspective about the word click. Click often means I'm familiar and I trust you. I have done business with you before. And when we did, we had the opportunity to exchange and do business. You came through and fulfilled your commitment. If you do that in every scenario that you find yourself, tell me if I'm wrong. But most of the time when you do people right, they are more likely to call you back. Is that correct? It is absolutely correct. Absolutely. You know, (laughs) yeah, we have people that we, you know, because there are a lot of church units here, right? There are a lot of people who, you know, there's some people who are not going to call me because they grew up with somebody here. Or they, you know, they've been in the trenches with somebody. They're just not but, familiar with you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not on a regular basis. Right. You know, a, a lot of the people, it, it, but sometimes we end up getting called to something and people who wouldn't call each other, we end up on the same event working together, you know, and, and uh, click is such a, a, a word. I don't even know those words even apply. Well, I'm sure they apply a little bit, you know, pandemically now, but, you know, cause you gotta have people you can trust. Like you said, if, if I can't trust you, then I'm not going to call you back because you hurt this immediate community. Mm-hmm. Either you're going to go back and work on whatever you need to work on or, you know, you won't be a part of this community, right. <laughs> you know, which is a whole nother thing. But, you know, I I heard the same thing, you know, it's clickish, you know, L.A. is clickish, New York is clickish, click, 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 click. Mm-hmm. Well, what I've learned is, it's not just only possible to get the respect of the community. It's very possible to have your click be the community. Mm. Mm. Your click is the community. The, the click is wow. the community. Wow. You know, now I know quite, well, pretty much everybody I know plays in church, you know, and, and but it's funny, like, most of my work is not in church here. Most of my work is in the community. And, uh, you know, to scale, to, to scale it down even further, most of it's in the music community. 
the working secular com music community. And that community, you know, I worked really hard establishing relationships where, you know, there have been times more often than not where I may not be doing anything, but somebody needs a substitute, you know, last minute or planning later on. And I get the call. I don't take that for granted because again, I'm working so that the, the my clique is the community. The community, right. I don't just, you know, and, and it's, you know, I don't want that to sound like, oh, you're using, you know, that's not a conceited uh, train of thought. That's not anything to be, you know, any kind of way, but I would think you will want that everybody would want their click to be the community, you know, because I can come work with you, Zach, and then I can go work with, you know, uh, uh, let's just take Jukebox, you know, one of the community's favorites, you know, and then go work with uh, Jay Fly and Trey Gilbert, the music directors for New Edition and Bobby Brown and, and People Bryson, and then, you know, then I get the call, get blessed to go be on tour with Anita Baker. The whole community. And then come back and then, you know, get to do jazz on a regular basis. I was, I, I got to be musical director for one of the nation's regular, you know, pre-pandemic before I got the tour. I was music, became musical director because some people in the community said, call this guy for this sweet jazz series. And you know, who was bringing in everybody, but the community would come out. That's a whole separate community, a whole separate clientele. But, you know, it's because I've worked to try to make the community be my clique. Right. You know, and in that way, you know, whatever the genre, whatever was happening, uh, I think when you worry less about the dollar amount, Mm. And worry about, you know, bringing Talk it to the it. people. You don't have to worry about the dollar. I know things are a little bit different now. You can't, you, you know, you can't always talk in those terms. I am the musician, or you know, I am one of those musicians, music community people. I I call it because I'm more than a musician, which I'll address later. But. uh I'm one of those people where I feel like, you know, if, if if you worry about the people, you don't have to worry about the money. Mm -hmm. if the more people see that you're worried about them, God will make sure that they're worried about you. Take care of the people and they will take care of you. That's good. My click is the community. My click is the community. That's good. In other words, when you are out serving your community, people will sense that you love the community. It's hard to serve yeah. when, if you don't love, right? Because the motive, the motive, motives can be discerned, right? But when, particularly if you're doing something and you're not getting paid for it, but if you're doing it for love of the community, love of your people, love for the, love for the Atlanta music community. I want to make a contribution to Atlanta's musical landscape that causes it to continue to be at the top echelon of music centers in the world. When you have that mindset, 
you look for opportunities to add value. You look for opportunities, as Russ said, to sweep the street because you want to keep the neighborhood clean. The community has got to be top notch because this is an ecosystem. So if you're out there listening to us right now, understand how the music ecosystem works. When Rodney has an opportunity and he calls me, it's my opportunity not just to feed my family, but I get to help support Rodney's family. And then when we make music together, harmony, when we make perfect harmony together, people want to know how can we have this experience again? Now, Rodney may not need me the next time because I may have just been filling in for somebody on that particular stint. But I didn't do that person a disservice by misrepresenting their spot or their position. We 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 filled the gap. There was nothing missing. There was nothing broken. Rodney's ecosystem for his family and his his gig and his opportunity continues. And then when my opportunity comes around, because I sowed in good faith, a good seed, I can reap the harvest of that in my next opportunity. And I can also call Rodney to come in and help me yeah. because now it's my opportunity to give him an opportunity, but we'll all serve in the community, the musical community I'm speaking about by being professionals and understanding how ecosystems work. One thing flows into another, one thing supports another, and we all Absolutely. ultimately eat. So the worst thing you could do per Mr. Edge is not make a contribution to the community because the ecosystem can't trust you. Absolutely. You can you can make a contribution to your clique, hmm. but how well will you eat if that's the only place you can contribute? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anywhere I go, I should be able to make a contribution that is perceived as valuable and beneficial to the Atlanta or L.A. or Nashville or Paris, wherever I'm at, that local Absolutely. ecosystem. Absolutely. I'm a contributor. I'm a giver, not a taker. The more you give, people say, hey, I can't give right now or I don't, or for whatever the reason, call him. Mm-hmm. Once that spreads the community, then you get to contribute and help grow the community. And it's just, it is what they call the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. That wave, once you make that deposit, it, it nothing stops it. It can be stopped, though. It can be intercepted by your, you know, inability to contribute to the entire community, because that's a wave as well. Right. But it's a counteraction. But, but it's like you just said. You have to understand once you learn how an ecosystem works, and how everybody, if your heart is really so that everybody comes up, everybody can. Powerful stuff. You're more than a musician. Tell us about that. What does Edge Music um, got coming up next? What's next for Edge Music and what's the vision for Edge Music? Um, well, uh, quite a few things. Um, I'm very active in my church, of course. Um, so we, we've we been working on things there. You know, this pandemic has really laid, leveled the playing field. Sure. And it's given me the opportunity to make, to, to I believe in, merging and bridging, you know, as much as I can. Um, you know, so what's next is um, I'm about to do some more things with my church. Um, I have um, a church project coming out. Uh, 
I have, I have three major uh, lifelong mentors that I attribute everything to. Uh, one is Bishop Ralph Danny Graves. The other is my choral teacher from high school, Marshall Butler, and then Luther Bars. Um, out of those, uh, I am producing um, Bishop, we lost Bishop Gray right before the pandemic started. Um, and I got a call to finish a project that I didn't know he was working on. So we are working on that. Uh, but that's a major, major deal uh, because of who he was to the East Coast uh, family uh, of churches. Um, have that. Um, I work with um, another um who has become a, a mentor and a big brother, um, Jarrell J. Fly Flynn and the How Big Is Your Dream organization who has taken student artists and shown them everything that we were missing coming up. So I'm working with them with the Summer Academy and helping them, you know, with what I've, I've been allowed to, to come in and help them with what I know as far as you know, what to do with music and music business and how to make it a community and, and do things like that. So um, I've worked with them the past couple of years. Uh, that has become really, really dear to my heart because, you know, if I knew before I had to take care of everything by myself, you know, as an adult, not by myself, but before I had to take care of things as an adult, if I'd had the education, I would have been better prepared. So uh, that's coming up. Uh, there's some other projects coming up, you know. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some tours, some things that's going to be happening. And, and I say that only because I've been asked about a few things uh, since people, you know, I was blessed to be out with Anita, like I said. And some people are like, well, is she going back? What's she doing? I, you know, well, well, we'll see, you know. Um, but as always, um, and that's the thing, that's the beautiful thing about being an entrepreneur and a creator. There's always something that's gonna be coming up. I do have a new project that will be out by the end of the year. Um, I had a project that I produced, uh, a solo project called Execute the Plan. And um, we're bringing that back, but it's Execute the Plan 2.0 because I have to um, include the relationships that I've been able to garner. And it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, my daughter has some stuff coming out. Uh, I didn't know I would be. Uh, I'm so proud of her. She's a, she's a music major at school, um, but you know she's also becoming one of the ones to watch. Another one to watch is I'm proud of my nephew. I'm so proud of him. Um, I have a nephew uh, who goes by the name of Mister Money Sir. Uh, we've been working. And I didn't know that I would be doing hip hop, <laughs> but uh, we've had some interesting success uh, with him. So uh, you can definitely look forward to me working with him as well uh, for some things that we have coming up uh, by the fall. Awesome. Uh, Played is kind of full but that's the goal mm -hmm. absolutely any links uh social media or purchase links that you want to share with the listeners 
Okay, you can always find me if you look up Edge Music. That's E D G E M U Z I K. You can find me everywhere. Or Rodney M Edge Senior. I'm on Facebook. I'm on well, almost everywhere. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, of course, I'm on. I'm on SoundCloud. I've just got on TikTok. You anywhere you see Edge Music M U Z I K. Um, that's where you find me. And uh, that's what we're doing. Awesome. Well, my brother, it's always a pleasure, an honor to have you as one of our guests on the episode of Musically Hitched. We have been enriched, we've been encouraged, we've been informed, we've been inspired. And we look forward to what's next for you. And if there's any way we can help you, you know, with just a phone call away. Again, we appreciate always, you. Always, always. Zach, let me say this. Let me say this to the listeners. Uh, forgive me for cutting you off. But Zach Reynolds, thank you for having me on Musically Hitched. Um, I believe that you and your wife are two of the most blessed people I've ever met. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, I think you all have a lot to offer. Uh, and if, you know, hopefully anybody who gets to listen to our talk today, uh, this isn't the first time, but I hope it, that it will not be the last time, if it is the first time, that they've listened to because what you have um, an experience with yourself, uh, the reason why you and I connected is because you have a wealth and just an experience and a lot of knowledge and uh, you're one of the coolest people to know. And that's why everybody loves you as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for uh, thinking I had some value to bring uh, to conversation and uh, to have a conversation about and uh i'm just really thankful to be here so no doubt my pleasure i man. just wanted to say that yes sir. always thank you for the kind words man we appreciate you man this is another episode of musically hits and we look forward to seeing you real real soon take care everyone all right take care to our listeners we'd like to say thank you so much for tuning in if you enjoyed today's content be sure to like and subscribe so that you'll always be notified of new episodes. This is Zach Reynolds Jr. We look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Musically Hitched.